inquiring minds want to know. Pastor Xavier Reese has the simple truth. Jesus said to Thomas, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me. There is no other person that can get you to heaven or God apart from me, Thomas. There is no other name you can call upon, not Mary, not Buddha, not Allah. There is no umpire arbitrary who can come between God and man but me. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. We're taught from a very young age that there is no such thing as a dumb question. And today, we'll hear one of Jesus' apostles who adhered to that advice more than any other. In fact, the Apostle Thomas is often referred to as Doubting Thomas in reaction to the frank questions he asked of Jesus. Coming up, Pastor Xavier explains how the replies of Jesus to Thomas's line of questions are some of the Scripture's most endearing simple truths. We pick up the study in the Gospel of John. Thomas, the unintimidated apostle, is revealed to us now. In chapter 13, is just a background to it. The location is the upper room. As you know, the disciples are engaged in a usual conversation. Who is the greatest in the kingdom of God? And then Jesus, in verses 16 and 17 told them, Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. The blessing is not in hearing. The blessing is not in knowing. The blessing is in doing. They had been seen for three and a half years. They had been hearing for three and a half years, but they hadn't been doing it for three and a half years. Secondly, we see that the shocking news Jesus declares to them was that he was leaving to go to the Father in chapter 14. In verse 1, Jesus tells them not to allow their hearts to be troubled. If they believed in God, they were to believe in him. In verse 2, Jesus tells them that in his Father's house, were many mansions or abiding places. If it were not so, he wouldn't have told them. Then also in verse 2 there, Jesus tells them that he is going to prepare a place for them. And then in verse 3, 4, he tells them that if he went to prepare a place for them, he would come again and receive them to himself, that where he would be, there they would also be. And then lastly in verse 4, Jesus tells them, that where he went, they knew. And the way, they knew. Well, this was too much for Thomas. Thomas is the unintimidated apostle. Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. And how can we know the way? <laughs> Thomas is once again a pessimist, but unpretentious, and speaks for all the twelve. Do you think the other 11 knew the way? Of course not. Thomas states the plain question, how can we know the way? Lord, we've left all. We've followed you. And and, and, and what's all this talk you're going away? I mean, I don't mind dying with you, but don't tell me you're going away. (laughs) Notice fourthly here that the secret to heaven is proclaimed by Jesus to Thomas. 
because of his being unintimidated and asking for clarity. In verse 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me. One of the greatest statements that has ever been declared by Jesus was due to Thomas. Lord, we don't know where you're going. And how can we know where you're the way? <laughs> Jesus said to Thomas, I am the way. There is no other person that can get you to heaven or God apart from me, Thomas. Nobody. There is no other name you can call upon, not Mary, not Buddha, not Allah, or any other name. There is no umpire arbitrary who can come between God and man. Pretty clear stuff. Jesus also said, I am the truth. He is the truth about the things of God and the things of man. He is the truth about salvation. He is the truth about judgment. They had been hearing all about that for three and a half years. And then Jesus said, I am the life. He is the life giver. He is the life source. He is the life taker. In him is life. And no one else. And he closes it. Jesus said, no one, no man comes to the Father except through me. Do you know how often this verse has been used in your own lifetime? Let alone in the life of the church to the very day that we are hearing it. When people have heard this statement and they have turned from their sin. They have been gripped with their ignorance and their rebellion and their pride. And have fallen before God knowing their loss and call upon his name to be saved. Incredible proclamation. The naturalist J. Henry Fabry once conducted an experiment with pine precisionary caterpillars, whatever they may be, but they're a certain type. And he set a group of them in the edge of a flower pot, and they followed one another around the sterile rim for seven days without deviating, though. A branch of pine, their favorite food, lay right beside the pot. Conformity, for conformity's sake, keeps people from the most obvious and holds them back from progress. Thomas was not such an individual. He broke the ranks. He was not intimidated. He was not a yes man. Are you one who just goes along with the program, pretending to know while remaining in the darkness as a Christian? Hopefully not. Are you just repeating the sayings because you've heard them and you really don't understand them, but you're afraid to ask questions? I hope not. Or perhaps repeating them because you are persuaded because you've studied the truth. Hopefully that's it. Jesus said that he's the way, the truth, and the life. Eternal life is in him, John 3, 16, no one else. 
There's no other name whereby men must be saved, Acts 4.12 says. There's no other mediator between God and man except the man Christ Jesus, 2 Timothy 2.5 says. And so whatever I'm discussing, whatever I'm, I'm trying to decide what is the right interpretation, there's a point me to Jesus. My doctrine leads me to Jesus. What's your doctrine lead you to? I'm abiding. I'm looking for Jesus. That's what I want to focus on. This was Thomas, the unintimidated apostle. Thirty, and last we have Thomas, the convinced apostle. For this we must look to John 20, the last place where he is found. And first we want to look to verse 19 through 23. First the Lord Jesus appears to the eleven here. They were gathered together for fear of the Jews. The doors being shut, Jesus appears and he stood in their midst. The words spoken were most appropriate. Look at them. Peace be with you. Jesus had told them how they would be scattered at his arrest. The purpose was so exact. And he said that you might have peace. And he told them that in John 16, 32. So he had forewarned them about what they were feeling right now before it happened. You remember in John 16, 33, Jesus told them that in the world they would have tribulations, but they were to be of good cheer because he had overcome the world. Also, Jesus had already distinguished the difference between his peace and the world's peace. I leave with you my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. John 14, 27. He already told them that. He had prepared them for it. This is after the fact. So the words are appropriate. Peace be with you. But notice also the Lord shows his hands and his feet and his sides. And the disciples, it says, verse 20, were glad. He's going here. If you look at my hands. Look at my side. Look at my feet. Touch me. The very presence of Jesus once again gained their composure. They were afraid. Now he's present again. The physical evidence of his bodily presence satisfied them. Look at verse 21. The Lord commissioned them to take the gospel to the world. Jesus once again declared peace to them. And then Jesus compared his being sent by the Father into the world to his sending them into the world. As the Father sent me, I send you. But notice also in verse 22 and 23 that the Lord enabled them for the commission. Jesus gave them the power by breathing on them and saying, Receive the Holy Spirit. Now some have a difficult time re reconciling the statement here and the Pentecost experience. They received the Holy Spirit. This is not Pentecost. Pentecost was the P experience. It is exactly what it says. Well, how are we? I don't know. We'll both ask when we get to heaven. But notice also that Jesus gave them the authority, the message of salvation in verse 23. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. Now this does not teach that the apostles had power and authority to forgive sin in and of themselves. This verse is used by the Catholic Church as the basis for the priests 
to have authority to forgive sins of other people through confessions. It's incorrect, and it's out of context. It's totally wrong. He's speaking to the disciples, the apostles, who are going to preach the gospel. Secondly, it applies to everybody in principle who is a Christian and preaches the gospel. Okay? It is not for some elite little group who hears confessions through a veil box and sanctions forgiveness. This is totally wrong. This rather teaches that they were vested with the authority to proclaim that on the basis of the finished atoning work of Christ, sins could be forgiven to those who put their trust in Jesus as their Savior by faith. As we proclaim the gospel, if people accept it and they say they repent and they confess Christ, then we say, all of your sins have been cast as far as east and the west. We have the authority by virtue of their faith confession. That's what he's talking about here. Now notice secondly, the last half of 23. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Now this does not teach that they could refuse to forgive any person's sins if they chose to. Okay? This teaches that they could tell a person that if they refuse to believe the gospel and repent, then they were still in their sins. And if they died, they would die in their sins, and God would judge them on the basis of their sins. Because salvation is based on this side of heaven, not the other. This is what it's talking about. Now, notice secondly, when you get to verse 24 and 25, the response of the apostle Thomas as he is told of the Lord's appearance, we get here. It says, Now Thomas, called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. So he said to them, Unless I see his hands and, and the prints of his nails, and put my fingers into the prints of, of the nails, and put my hand into the side, or his side, I will not believe. Thomas had not been present. First appearance in verse, uh, the previous verses. So now they're telling Thomas. Thomas, the unintimidated. Thomas, the one who has to be convinced thoroughly. His response is, I have to see him, I have to touch him. Thomas, the pessimist, by his reality that Jesus was gone, had not been present. Life was not worth living, and most likely, the very reason why he was not present in the first appearance. He was bummed. He probably just went somewhere to deal with the reality of it, and probably real depressed, real bummed. That's the type of guy he was. The usual label that Thomas is given is that of a doubter, which is not fair, nor is it accurate to the scriptures. And I hope you've seen that by now, because it kind of fits real good when you go through John, 
but you have to compare all that John is saying about him. Jesus rebuked the 11 for their unbelief. Let's examine if he's the only daughter. Jesus rebuked the 11 for their hardness of heart because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had been risen, namely the women. Mark 16, 14 tells us that. Jesus rebuked them. Jesus doesn't rebuke Thomas. Not like he did the other 11. Luke 24, 11 confirms this by saying, And their words seemed to them, the disciples, like idle tales, meaning nonsense, when they did not believe them. Who? The women. Very clear by Luke. The women certainly did not believe that Jesus was going to rise from the dead. Or they wouldn't have taken spices to the tomb. The very fact they took spices, they didn't believe he was going to rise from the dead. The two men on the road to Emmaus were unbelieving, for Jesus said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Luke 24, 25 through 27. As the two were telling the eleven about Jesus appearing to them, Jesus appeared in the very midst of them and said this to the eleven in front of the two. Listen, Luke 24, 36-43 tells us, They were terrified and frightened and supposed they had seen a spirit, at which time Jesus presented his prince but they still did not believe, and he asked for food to prove the reality of his presence. You have some food around here? <laughs> now, who's the doubter? Is Thomas more of a doubter than any of those? No. I don't think so. Now notice thirdly here, verse 26 through 27. The reasonable evidence the Lord gave to Thomas. And after eight days, the disciples were again inside, and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the door being shut, and, sh and stood in the midst, and said, Peace to you. And he said to Thomas, Reach your fingers here. Look at my hands, and reach with your uh, hand here, and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. Eight days after, the apostles were all gathered. Here comes Jesus the very same way, same words, Peace to you. He addresses Thomas, nobody else. Jesus did not rebuke him any more than the other disciples. Jesus gave him the same proof that he gave to the other 11 apostles. Jesus does not refuse to reveal and prove certain things to substantiate Thomas' faith. He willingly does it. Even though you and I know that we're to live by faith, not by sight. Yet Jesus says, here it is. Was it unreasonable? No. You think you would have believed that Jesus rose from the dead? You think more highly of yourself then. I wouldn't have believed it. I would have wanted to see his hands. Notice fourthly here the consistent response of Thomas is the climax of John's gospel. Verse 28 and 29. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. 
And Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Thomas knew that Jesus was his Lord and his God. As far back as when he made the pessimistic commitment, let us also go that we may die with him. He was committed. Thomas, the pessimist in his reality, that Jesus was gone, no longer thought life worth living without him. Thomas gives to us the absolute confession of faith. Jesus is Lord, the one who rules our lives, and God who knows all things, even the motives of the heart. Another incredible statement owed to Thomas. People say, oh, where's Jesus? Jesus never says he's God. Thomas says, my Lord, my God. One of many places, but this is a great one. Notice what Thomas was told by Jesus. The evidence of greater faith. Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. He's not putting them down. He says, this was necessary for you. See, Jesus will meet you where your need is. Okay? Thomas, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. This speaks of all who would come to Christ after Jesus left this earth. You have not seen Jesus, nor I, but we believe. There is an old Arab proverb that reads as follows. He that knows not and knows not that he knows not, he's a fool. Shun him. He that knows not and knows that he knows not, he's simple. Teach him. He that knows and knows not that he knows... He is asleep. Wake him. He that knows and knows that he knows, he is a wise man. Follow him. Thomas knew. My Lord and my God. Do you know that he's your Lord and your God? I mean, do you know? Are you convinced? Do you have certain doubts? Take them to God in prayer. Philippians 4, 6 through 7. He'll answer you. The Lord does not mind sincere doubting. That's going to press you to progress. He'll, he'll meet you at your level. He'll deal with you. But once he does, make sure you're stepping forward. Philippians 3.12. Not thinking you've arrived. Once God dispels your doubts, answers your questions, and provides all that is necessary, then make sure that you give the proper response as Thomas. Acknowledging him as your Lord, he runs everything, and he's your God. He knows everything. Not all that say to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of God, Matthew 7, 21 says in that day. If you are a pessimist, then make sure you are one like Thomas. Loyal to Jesus unto death. Loving Jesus so much that he could not stand the thought of living without him and looking to Jesus to reveal the truth personally to him if you're going to be a pessimist be a Thomas I can handle that because you will be committed in the work of God so Thomas has gotten a bad rap (laughs) I hope um, you've changed your mind about him Thomas the committed apostle 
Thomas, the unintimidated apostle, and Thomas, the convinced apostle. Good guy to follow. He is indeed. Pastor Xavier Reese wrapping up another Simple Truths character study from our series of the Apostles and featuring Thomas today. And just before we close, let me take a moment to mention that copies of today's character study, simply titled Thomas, are available for only $4 on CD. And this will also include everything Pastor Xavier shared the last time we were together as well. So once again, the title to ask for is simply Thomas, or just mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing... Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. And then join us for more Simple Truths right here next time with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 